Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hi, I am Roman Wecker, Principal in Hydric and Struggles Frankfurt office and member of the industrial practice. In today's podcast, I'm talking to Andreas Schell, CEO of Rolls-Royce Power Systems AG, a product and solution brand of Rolls-Royce, providing world-class solutions and complete lifecycle support for energy and propulsion. Andreas joined Power Systems in 2017 from UTC Aerospace Systems, where he was VP of Digital Strategy. Andreas, uh, welcome and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Well, hello everybody. And um, let me first start by saying I'm really excited to record the podcast. So Andreas, the automotive industry is experiencing a fundamental shift. We know that towards e-mobility, battery and, and hydrogen technology. So how will this shift affect your industry and, and what will leaders need to know to succeed? It will affect us in an even more impactful way versus the automotive industry. Not that it is easy in the automotive industry, but we are playing in, we're operating in 13 different disassociated industries. And we have 40,000 industrial customers all over the world. So even the global aspect makes it a bit more um, complex since some of the requirements and regulations are not very heterogeneous across the world. So to sum it up, there is massive change ahead of us. Now, I'm speaking to other business leaders, I'm speaking to politicians, and very often this change is perceived as a big threat. And of course, that could be the case. However, I also want to see the positive in it. I think there is a massive opportunity for us. When I think about the roles engineers play in the years to come. Um, I described it internally as the golden age of engineering. I think there were times in the past, even in Germany, when becoming an engineer was not seen as something so desirable. I think that will massively change and we should not undermine what engineering, what German engineering, what role that plays to solve some of these challenges. When I think about our customers, I think the challenges they have in front of themselves are even bigger. Many of them, they operate, they run their own businesses, but they by no means are they experts in what we are doing. We, we provide uh, them with propulsion systems and we provide them with energy supply. And most of our customers aren't expert in those areas. So they turn to us to come up with solutions and that's why we also decided to change Rolls-Royce power systems from an engine maker into a solutions provider. In your opinion, what kind of leadership skills do people need to successfully lead and manage a business in disruption? I don't want to generalize that. What would people need? I can talk about what uh, I think has helped me. Um, in my private life, I'm, uh, I'm pursuing triathlon as a sport and I've decided to go for longer distances. And I do believe there is quite a bit of an analogy between the long distance triathlon sport, which is a combination of three sports. They are 
different sports, swimming, which is a very technical discipline, then cycling and running. There's an analogy between triathlon as a sport and what I experience in business. When I think about a long distance triathlon, it is a very long day that I'm out there performing that sport. And a lot of things can go through. So for me, what's helpful in terms of a leadership skill is to always have a plan B, to be prepared for the things that I don't know, and then to be able to respond to that. The other thing is that doesn't go without a certain amount of ambition. I won't be really satisfied and, and happy in the sports if I don't set myself somewhat of an ambitious target. But then when preparing for such a triathlon event, that takes several months. And so you can't be in it just for the short. I have to be in it for the long term, for the long haul. And therefore, resilience is something that I view as a very important leadership skill as well. And last but not least, I do also need a strong amount of enthusiasm. I believe as a leader, the enthusiasm that we show shines on our people. People sense it when you come into the office on a Monday morning. What mood is your boss in? And if he's an enthusiastic person, I think that will give such an energy boost to the entire organization. We recently made an organizational change in the company. We called that program Empower 2030. And we changed from a more functional organization into a matrix organization. And I was also looking for leaders that embrace some of these elements. Be ambitious, be courageous, have a plan B. But I think what's also important in leading businesses today is the aspect and the thought of diversity. And I'm not necessarily only talking about the classical elements of diversity. I'm more talking about the the diversity of thought. I want mm -hmm. people that really kind of bring something together mm -hmm. when we come together here in Power Systems. And you uh, mentioned already my, my next question. So diversity and inclusion. What did you do to ensure you had diverse perspectives within your teams? That's a very good question. Well, first of all, when you look at RRPS or Rolls-Royce, we are clearly a global company. We have sites all over the place. There's only six countries where our products aren't in operation today. However, we used to be in power systems, very German and very headquarters centric. I think this is nothing unusual. A lot of German companies probably would, um, would subscribe to that. I believe promoting diversity starts really at the top. And this is last year we changed um, the, the members of the board for Power Systems. And I was very happy that I found Louise Öfferström, my CFO, Swedish origin. Have, she has worked in multiple countries, in different companies. And then I was also joined by Otto Breis, Austrian origin, but lived most of his life in Switzerland, lived in the US. I think the three of us, there is never a doubt. Our basic setting is almost thinking globally about things. And with that, once we started hiring and recruiting people for leadership functions, we really pay attention to this. I'm not a big believer only in KPI-driven diversity. I think this is something that is unfortunately still a must in order to shape organizations, but it should not be the only thriving force for CEOs or top executives. 
I think you want to do this because you believe into the value of diversity. And the value of diversity is, I believe you get a much, much better outcome from it. And we have great examples now. When you are going through the headquarter building now, you can run into two people who speak Italian or Spanish. We just recently sent a senior executive and she is an Italian woman um, to run our China business for a while. How cool is that? Sustainability, it's another really core pillar of your business strategy. And as I heard from, from people close to you, also for you personally. So um, how are you including sustainability in your agenda? And uh, are you reshaping roles and expectations for leaders' knowledge in this area? I think when it comes to sustainability or the, the transformation towards sustainability, the products we used to do in 2017, 100% of them produced carbon dioxide. Now we could lean back and say that's um, not our fault. Um, it's our customers that are using that. That is too easy in today's life. I think we carry the responsibility, we share the responsibility of our customers and therefore we had to change the agenda. And this is why we set up our strategy RRPS 2030, our transformation, three pillars to that. But this wasn't enough. We had to change the organization. And so we launched in the midst of the COVID pandemic in 2020, a massive program to reorganize our company into four business units. Two classical business units that are providing solutions for mobile and for stationary applications. One business unit dedicated for China and the fourth business unit solely dedicated for sustainable products. Why did we choose this rather unusual path? Very clearly, we wanted a group of people that walks into the business on Monday morning and that has nothing in mind but to develop sustainable products because we have to overcome massive challenges. We have to convince stakeholders inside the company, outside of the company, that this is the, ri uh, the right path we are on. We have to convert dozens of products into sustainable products in the years to come. And I really wanted to have organizational focus. That was one of the reasons why we launched Empower 2030. And then we also at Rolls-Royce, starting at the group level, like many other companies, defined a roadmap towards net zero. The group has deals in aerospace and that's long cycle business. So even if there were to be a change today, it will take many, many years until the customers will get net zero carbon products in their hands. Now for power systems, this is a bit different because our business cycles are much shorter. So what we do today, three, four, five years later, I can see change in, um, in the products that we bring to our customers. And that's why for power systems, we gave ourselves a very aggressive target that by 2030, we will reduce our carbon dioxide emissions by minus 35% compared to the year 2019. That's a really tough target. Now, you ask about the personal element and believe me that I spent a lot of time thinking about this challenge. I, I have to say, I do find it rather embarrassing when the next generation or other people have to sue governance or companies for what they perceive as misconduct towards a sustainable agenda. I want to be able to look into my children's eyes and explain to them what I have done to allow them for a good life on this planet. And this is not this 
green future image that I want to give them, I view this really as a generational responsibility and as a generational task. And as such, this defines my personal purpose. Now, that in the end then defines what we do inside the company. And it's refreshing that more and more people in our own company are jumping on the train. I'm very happy about the progress we've made. On the other hand, in order for a business to fully prosper, um, it is key to set up not only the right strategy, but also the right culture. In your experience, what are the most important ways a CEO can support a, a thriving culture? This is an enormously important question. And the first thing that comes to my mind is to promote collaboration. So when I sit at home and talk to my two sons um, who work in schools in small teams and then work in projects, I really promote to them um, that they need to learn and get good at collaborating with others. Why do I do this? I really believe that the problems we face to today and the sustainability transformation is one example. They are just simply too complex that a single person is able to solve them. Therefore, the ability and to create an environment even inside a company for people to collaborate is very important. An another very important aspect that is important to me is entrepreneurialism. I think in large companies we have lost a bit the ability to respond in a good way to the dynamics that is around us. And I think it is so crucial that we act like we own this business, that we are like entrepreneurs in a large company where there are clearly guidelines that we have to comply with and deal with. And the third aspect is something that I acquired and I developed for myself um, strongly over the last four years, a good feedback culture. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. You're not perfect. I think many of our team members um, aren't perfect in what they do and how they conduct themselves. And therefore, it is, it is very important to establish a culture where good feedback is seen something that develops people, that brings people ahead. Uh, I would say those are three elements that um, I have on my mental list that, um, that, that I inject in the organization. Although you are already a quite experienced CEO, this is formally your first CEO role. So, so what have been your most important lessons learned? Well, I've been in this role now a bit over four years and uh, I wasn't put in this role and um, I, I wasn't ready. But when I reflect on that question, some of my most important lessons is, and, and this has been with me even in the past, where do I come from? I think the German word, Bodenständigkeit, not losing my crowns. I've often in my, in my career witnessed and observed other people where I said, have you completely lost the understanding of where you came from? Mm. And I think this unfortunately leads to that people aren't really authentic. So Bodenständigkeit, authenticity, something very important to me. I think the second lesson learned purpose. Why do I do what I do? Sometimes I wish I would have a larger job. I think that's very normal for some people that, that they want to personally grow. But then I need to think about what I'm doing today. So transforming a company where in 2017, 100% of the products emitted carbon dioxide. Isn't this a great challenge that I have? And if I 
compare this to my personal purpose, um, I, I think that is probably the second lesson learned. We talked already about culture, so I won't um, elaborate too much on that. But, but this aspect of diversity of thought, when I started four and a half years ago in power systems, I did underestimate a bit how difficult it would be to transform this company. Clearly, the need for transformation is there, but there were a lot of people and there are a lot of people working in our company and our company in more than 110 years never made a loss. So people have all the right to say, Mr. CEO, why do you want us to change? So for me, there are two or three pain points, if you so will, that um, I need to work on. One of them is the continued transformation with an understanding for the people that were here before me, that are here today, taking them along for the ride. But then also understanding and grasping the magnitude of what that challenge looks like. And I would say also a third pain point that I'm dealing with is as we operate in so many different end industries, it is almost impossible that everything we develop, every technological path we pursue is going to be a home run. So they're also dealing with a certain amount of ambiguity and some risk and mm -hmm. failure on that. But if you so will, those are my, the topics on my agenda. So coming from your lessons learned, what's the most important way your organization as a whole is building on the lessons learned and pain points of 2020? 2020. <laughs> When it started that year, I thought, well, this will go over soon. And I'm, I think it was in good company. A lot of us, uh, let us go back for a moment. January, February 2020, news out of China, single double-digit number of cases, but none of us perceived it as a threat. When it came, it came, came so quickly. I think what we did very well within power systems, we got together and we defined three absolute clear priorities. And I would bet with you, if you were to go around and ask anyone in the company, what were the three priorities, people could recite it. So we were clear about that. First, to protect the safety and health of our people and take no exception on that. And we were very successful with that. We had always a good crisis management. We were never behind the point. We were always a bit ahead of the curve and what was about to come. The second priority, to support our customers, to keep them in mind, to not let COVID be an excuse. Why not help them? We did some amazing things. In the midst of the COVID pandemic, we had a, a yacht that was stranded on the open ocean with an engine problem and we basically transported more than 15 tons of material over and we fixed that engine in a vessel that was offshore, never done before. But this was the attention to customers that my team provided. And then the third priority is we wanted to get stronger out of that crisis. That phrase that is so often used, never waste a good crisis. In the midst of that COVID pandemic, we changed the organization with more than 1,000 roles. And we couldn't held workshops where people were together in a room. We did this remotely. So talking to people about their new roles in the new organization. So a lot of the human interaction that is supposed to normally take place in person had to take remotely. So I'm really happy what we did. So th the, these were probably the three, three clear priorities that we had. But in the end, 
also my personal lessons learned, trust your people. This would not have been possible without the team around me because I, I wasn't there personally and I couldn't take care in this global organization. I used to travel around and visit some of our uh, managing directors in other countries. Couldn't do it. So I had to trust and rely on them to do the job alongside the three priorities. But then also to stay enormously focused. I think it is so easy that in a crisis, um, you lose track of what's important and what not. And I believe that we had a lot of focus in our organization. Andreas, thank you again for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, Why not share this with your connections? Until next time.